It's America's birthday. Reading alouders. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Nate Cordry. I'm the host of this show. And today's show, we're celebrating America. It's 4th of July time. So I thought I'd dedicate this show in its entirety to the glory of these United States. Uh, first, before we get into the glory of America, I want to thank, again, Nelson Franklin and John Forrest for doing the 11-22-63 book club uh, last week. It was so much fun, and that book on it, it really has stuck with me. It's uh, sitting on my... Um, on my table in my living room, and I walk past it every day, and I don't want to move it. Like, I want it to sort of stick around because I love that book so much. So thanks again to those guys for reading it and uh, having a really fun, engaging conversation on last week's episode. Get that book. It's real great. Um, And if you don't want to get that one, well, then how about this one? Go pick up Helen McDonald's H is for Hawk, which is the July book for the book club, and come down to Skylight Books for the live event, which is July 21st at 7.30. There might be an actual Hawk there. I'm not kidding. It's, it's in the works. I'll keep you posted. Paul Shear, Aya Cash, Jerry Stahl, Jillian Smolinski, they're all coming down. They're all part of this live book club event. Pick up the book. Uh, online at skylightbooks.com and get 15% off. You have to just mention reading aloud on the checkout or go to Skylight on Vermont here in Los Feliz in California, in Hollywood, and uh, mention reading aloud, 15% off. It's a great deal. So if you're gonna, if you've been waiting to to join the book club, this is the time to do it and come out and ex- experience this really fun live event. So that's July... July 21st at 7.30, and I would love to see you guys there. And thanks again for all of my listeners who've been writing in, giving me book suggestions, and being a part of the book club. Uh, This event's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, So let's get to today's show. We have two amazing readers, but before that, um, well, let's talk about these readers first. So I, I spent a bunch of summers at this place called Williamstown, this Williamstown Theater Festival in Western Mass, and I got the idea... For today's show, because they have this program every summer where they have two actors do readings uh, like on the town common. It is so much fun. The whole town shows up and then everyone goes down to Spring Street for the 4th of July parade, which is adorable. And America at its, you know, the Boy Scouts walk by and then like the old timey fire engine comes down the street and then you wipe away a tear and the veterans walk by and it's great. You eat hot dogs and let off fireworks. It's great fun. But in the morning, they have an actor read the Declaration of Independence and then the British response, which people don't know about. I hadn't heard about it before I saw it happen at Williamstown. Some, I think it was like Roger Reese, some British actor read the British response, which is this wonderfully condescending response by the king uh, four or five months after they received the declaration. And it's sort of like, oh, you're adorable, but um, yeah, we're not going to let you do this. So we're going to have to declare war and kick some ass. We know how this all ended. Um, But it's wonderful to hear both of these things together because they're so different. So I had two really good friends come in and read them. My buddy Robert Baker came in to read the Declaration, and a really good friend, uh, my my playwriting friend Crispin Wattell, came in. I worked with Crispin at Williamstown 
uh, and a play that he wrote and directed a couple summers ago. And he uh, read The British Response, which was really fun. So thanks to uh, Robert and Crispin for doing that. And while I was I was uh, prep, prepping this show, I was reminded of a conversation I had. Um, I think it was with Harvey Jason in the third or fourth episode of Reading Aloud. We were talking about important pieces of paper from history that have enormous value. And a friend of mine had mentioned Tom Paine. Uh, He published this thing called the American Crisis, which was a set of pamphlets. And basically this pamphlet, this first pamphlet is why we won the war. This is in 17, I think it was 1776. Yeah, December. And it was read... George Washington was so moved by it. This is the winter, and it's fucking cold, and they're in Delaware, and just like farmers and all these, the Minutemen are just up, like jumping ship. It's too cold. We're going to be outnumbered. Fuck this. Like, this is over. We're not going to fight this war. Thomas Paine writes this piece of paper. George Washington has it read to his troops in Delaware. Everyone stays. We go on to win the next enormous battle. I think in Trenton, the the uh, war changes and America wins its independence. I just wanted to read the first paragraph from this because it's spectacular. This is from December 23rd, 1776. This is Tom Paine from American Crisis. It's a very famous first sentence. You'll recognize it. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us all, in all cases whatsoever. And if being bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon earth. Even the expression is impious, for so unlimited a power can belong only to God." It builds from there, but it's a pretty fantastic first paragraph. That rallied everyone. This is months after the declaration was written, but I just think that's wonderful. I, I have a copy of this at home, and, and I very rarely read it, but um, it is, yeah, it has strength. Anyway, um, but before we get to that, because uh, I need some jokes in this show, I want to um, replay Jason Manzukist's Jason Manzukist's Manzukis, uh incredible reading uh, that he gave that I used in, I feel like, the second or third episode of Reading Aloud uh, <laughs> about, about our mascot, the bald eagle. So let's start with Jason, and then we'll transition to Robert, then we'll go to Crispin, and then we'll finish the show. So let's begin with Jason and some jokes. Here's Jason Manzukis. This is called, okay, 
Maybe our apartment is too small for a bald eagle. <laughs> By Tom O'Donnell. <laughs> Honey, please join me underneath the table. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of soul searching lately, and I'm ready to admit that you're right. Maybe our apartment is too small for a bald eagle. Purchasing a pet eagle seemed like a great decision at the time I made it without telling you. I imagined our new eagle would be both companion and playmate. A loving friend to share our lives with. Like a dog or a cat. But better because it can fly and scream. Plus, having a bald eagle around is really patriotic. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I was a little jealous of all the attention the downstairs kid neighbor gets for owning a ferret. I don't get it. This kid buys a fancy rat and suddenly he's a goddamn local celebrity. Whatever. Anyway, this was my frame of mind when I brought home Tony, our eagle. What I hadn't counted on is that a 20-pound bird with an 8-foot wingspan needs a lot of room to fly. And defecate. And vomit, apparently. Room that our one-bedroom apartment simply doesn't have. Perhaps such close proximity wouldn't be such a problem if eagles were particularly affectionate pets, but I'm willing to concede that they're not. Eagles don't like getting held, or stroked, or petted. If you do succeed in wrestling an eagle into your lap, guess what? You've basically pointed its scrabbling, razor-sharp talons right at your thighs and groin. And God forbid you try and put a pair of sunglasses on an eagle because you think it'll be cute. It's like, goodbye, thumbs. Nope. All Tony, all, no, all Tony wants to do is sit on top of the fridge, scream, and eat garbage. I don't know even why he eats the garbage if he's just going to throw it up. And why does he only seem to throw up on our most valuable personal possessions? This is the kind of stuff they just don't tell you at the van where you buy eagles. <laughs> anyway, I don't mean to say that owning an eagle has been a totally negative experience. Our mouse problem definitely seems to have cleared up. However, mice droppings suddenly don't seem so bad when you see what a large carnivorous bird is capable of in the feces department. And I will always think back fondly on the dinner party that we hosted when Tony swooped around attacking everyone. You know I don't care much for your sister's boyfriend, so I was privately delighted to see him get scratched. Although I'm obviously very sorry about everyone else's injuries. It was certainly a proud moment for me when I successfully trained Tony to fly at my head whenever I enter a room. I would even go so far as to say, I love Tony in my own way, as much as you can love a creature that has bitten the tips of your thumbs off. In the end, however, the benefits of keeping an eagle in a small apartment have not outweighed the costs. <laughs> Giving up our bedroom to make space for Tony's giant laundry-slash-garbage nest was a bad idea. <laughs> I suspect it will smell like an eagle in there for quite some time. But we've had to spend nearly all of our time hiding under the kitchen table ever since Tony developed a taste for human blood. <laughs> and, and the monetary cost of eagle ownership has also been significant. Fresh fish, new furniture, and emergency room bills start to add up. Not to mention the $11,000 I paid for Tony himself. Oh, I see. You didn't realize how much eagles cost. Well, the reason they're so expensive is because ah, 
I guess it's illegal to own one unless you're a zoo or something. Just by having Tony in our apartment, we are both technically guilty of a felony. <laughs> Crazy, right? Please stop crying. You should be happy. Because I'm saying you were right all along. This place is too small for an eagle. Bare minimum, we would need a bigger apartment with a dedicated eagle room. Which I really don't think we can afford right now. That's why I'd like you to take this broom and shoo Tony out into the hall. Shoo him! So we can end this finally and have our lives back. No, I'm not going to do it. Seriously, there's no way I'm getting out from under this table. That thing tried to kill me. Today's sponsor is Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered, American-made, American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase by going to Casper, as in the ghost, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash reading. Use code reading and you get 50 bucks off any mattress. You spend a third of your life sleeping. Take care of your body. Casper brings together two comfy technologies together for better nights and brighter days. Latex foam and memory foam. So they've got just the right sink, just the right bounce, no matter how you sleep. And they've got a risk-free trial and a return policy. They deliver it straight to your home. And you've got 100 days to test it out. If you're not happy, they come back, put in the truck, and bring it back to the Casper factories. At the store, maybe you'll get a minute to try their mattresses, but Casper, you'll actually get to sleep on it and try it out. It's 500 bucks for a twin-size mattress, 950 for a king-size mattress, and comparing that to the industry standard, that's an amazing price point. So get 50 bucks off towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash reading. Use code reading. Terms and conditions apply. Casper Mattresses, casper.com. Robert Baker is with me. He's a friend first and an actor second. That's right. Texas Rising came out uh, a month or so ago? On Memorial Day, another uh, very American uh, yes, yeah. holiday time. Absolutely. And it's finished now. Yeah, the five and parts the, have aired, and we're, we're waiting around to find out if we're going to do a second season of it. And you played um, Big... What is the name of your character? <laughs> Big strong man. That's it. Uh, his name was Bigfoot Wallace. God he's damn a, right. He was a real guy. He was in the he's in the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. He's uh, holy shit. Yeah, he was a he was a cool, interesting. He he did a lot. It was uh, he did a lot more than than we do with our days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people back then worked a lot. Harder. God, they just did shit, and yeah, we yeah, just yeah. we just kind of hang out, and he's you know doing stuff. Not yeah. all of it. The best, but you know, no. you do stuff. But stuff. Yeah. He accomplished stuff. things. That's right. He did. He a woke up of... in the morning and did stuff, went to sleep. Did he have a to-do list? I, I don't know. I think it was probably pretty simple. He sort of like survive. Could he read and write? Uh, yes. I actually found when I was, when I was preparing, I found an autobiography in the history department of the University of North Texas. It, it was online. That sounds like I did a lot more work than I did. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and he, it was sort of, you know, I think he kind of ex expanded a little bit on his stories. Sure. I, I don't think you let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right. Basically. Do so. you feel the pressure of playing I, someone? Someone tweeted at the fake me on Twitter that they were his descendant and that, I better not fuck it up. 
Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and Fuck. then it was like, well, it's a lot of pressure on fake me, real me. <laughs> yeah, no you're fine. Yeah. Poor fake you. Yeah, fuck fake me. <laughs> I bet you. I bet. I bet fake you had a tough time post Grey's Anatomy too. It must have been a lot of break broken hearts. Yeah, I think you. that. I think that's when fake me really uh, started existing. Was post Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then they took a lot of credit for real me's work on everything else I've ever done. Oh, good for them. Yeah, yeah, good old fake me. Yeah. Well, they're entrepreneurial. I yeah. Guess. Well, I don't. I, oh God, if they made money on it, I'm going to be very unhappy. One of the reasons I I uh, asked you in to read this today is because I remember you were kind enough to invite me to your wedding, mm-hmm. and the gal that you married, your wife Amanda, uh-huh. is Canadian. She is. And everyone that got up and spoke at your wedding, uh, members of her family or friends of hers just mentioned how fucking American you are. Yeah, that's uh, I, I kind of scream America. Huh? Every every single one of them. Like it was like the second thing they said. They'd like how wonderful Bo is. Right. But he's he's such an American. I know, I know. I think What does that mean? Uh well, I think part of it's because I'm from I'm from the south, so it's such a definable part of America. Yeah. You know, it's like if I was from Milwaukee, they probably wouldn't have thought I was as American as they do, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I think it's just – I think I'm just from a place that is very identifiable as unique to America for for all its different reasons. Yeah. And I, and I think they just identified with that. You're also like a handsome, big, strong guy. Right, well, and that uh, that sort of like says um, like America is healthy. Yeah, I right? clearly, I, well, I clearly grew up in a place where I had space to grow. Like I was not, you know, I didn't yeah, grow yeah. up in a place where I had, you know, no, no. room to expand. Yeah, obviously. Um, when I think of America, I think of Robert Baker, and he's here to read the Declaration of Independence. You read this, I, I texted you all this information a couple uh-huh. days ago, and you, you said you read it a few days ago and, or last night or something in preparation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the word you used was stirred. It, it was, it was. Like, I guess if you had, you know, if you had asked me before I had read it completely, like I would have said something fairly pat, you know, so, oh, this document was, you know, created our country and like yeah. it's, you can't, you know, overstate its importance to us as a people or whatever. But like, this was written by some pissed off dudes yeah. with a lot of gusto. Yeah. Like they were clearly mad and yeah. like and putting everything at risk, which is sort of sort of gets forgotten, I think, like how much these guys were risking. Like oh. if they had had they lost, I mean, good grief. They oh, would have all, all been over. wiped out. And some of them, you know, like John Hancock made a lot of money from the British government and was doing pretty well, but they, you know, and had to I don't know. It was yeah. It disturbed me. Yeah. It well, was, it's also it's it's not like this. Just sort of, if something like this was written today, they wouldn't have ch- chosen um, a really compelling writer to write it. It right. would have been drafted by a lawyer. Right. Like attorneys would have written this. Yeah. And it would have looked like, and it would have been two hundred pages long. Yep. Like something that Congress had some bill that's, you know, 400 pages and it's full of, you know, pork and it's like unreadable. And there would have been a couple of writers attached exactly. to it to like pass the drinking age Exactly, or <laughs> exactly. But this is, if it was printed out today, it'd probably be four pages. Yeah, if that, yeah. And it's it's poetry. 
It is, and it's and it's uh, it's emotional. It's yeah. It's 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 no. There's no bland legalese. You know exactly. They're, they're really calling them out exactly, and they're really just saying like how wrong they're being done on a very basic level. Yeah. And the first, I love the way that it starts, is that it doesn't say, it's casual almost. It like, it kind of like the America walks up to, to Britain, sort of like casually puts his arm around his shoulder and says, listen, um, sometimes shit happens, right, yeah. in this world. And when it does, you got to respond. And this, and it doesn't start with like one period and then some legalese garbage. Right. It starts almost romantic. Mm-hmm. And the second fucking sentence is maybe the most important sentence in the, in the second paragraph written in the history of the country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness right. is, that defines us. And that's just fucking Thomas Jefferson drinking whiskey in his fucking room in, what is it, Mount Vernon? What the fuck is that place called? Uh, no. Um, Monticello? Mon- yeah, 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 exactly. In Virginia. I think that's right. Great, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, like three sheets to the wind, like making history. Yeah. And like, sure, all those, all the founding fathers kind of like edited it and like got together and tightened it up. But it was Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Like this is Jefferson, like at his fucking full strength. And I like to think of him as Stephen Delane in John Adams. Like, <laughs> kind of awkward. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, you want to take a hack at it? Yeah. Let's um, do it. In Congress, July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more deposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right. It is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, 
Let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time, after such dissolutions, to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has effected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us, in many cases, of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, he has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous of ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country to become the executioners of their friends and brethren or to fall themselves by their hands. 
He has excited domestic insurrections among us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is his undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Truth. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind. Enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies yes. solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, yes. that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. Yes. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. It's stirring. It finishes real strong. Finishes strong. He, had a, he, he knew how to close. Yeah. In the middle, <laughs> the lists get a little repetitive, and the stuff with the, uh, the uh, horrible... Indians is uh, regrettable. Yeah, you know, it was a different time. It was a different time. But it was a different time. That final paragraph. Therefore, motherfuckers, ah, uh, it is just, and the fact that all those guys stood in that hot room in July and in Philadelphia and just signed it and said, "All right, this yeah. is this is our lives. This is our family's lives. The nation rests in this piece of paper." There's a guy who signed it. This piece of knowledge I picked up. Somehow, his name is Button Gwinnett or Gwinnett. I don't know how you say his name, but it's like the only thing they can find his signature on is the Declaration of Independence. So it's one of the most valuable signatures in the world is his because Whoa. that's like this is like the only document people can find. No kidding. Yeah, he was killed in a duel, tripped on his own dick. No. <laughs> <laughs> how American of him. What was his, what was he a. Did he represent? Uh, he was, I think he was from Georgia. I think he, I, when I the, when I was reading it, they had all the names listed, like in what column, yeah. what, what colony they were from. I think he was from Georgia. I don't know what he what his. I, I wow. didn't do a lot of research on him beyond. 
I just had picked up that tidbit along the way that yeah. his signature was so valuable. Have you ever been in a room with the uh, with the declaration? I haven't. I have not. It's honest. There's a couple of copies, and there uh, there's um, one at Williams College. They have uh-huh. this room of of uh, like uh, they have the British response. They have the declaration. They have two other things. Part I think one of the Thomas Paine right um, common pamphlets. sense or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know when you're 16, 17, 18 or even if when you're in college you just don't you just can't you understand don't care. you don't give a fuck <laughs> you have no life experience yeah. and no wisdom you haven't been anywhere you know what the fuck any of this means yeah and you've you've been you've basically been under this kind of rule by your parents so you have no real concept <laughs> of, of <laughs> what totally. of what like, Absol- independence is absolutely anyway. absolutely but as you get older and you gain some wisdom and and some experience and Realize how young we are as a country. Yeah, I did. I was doing the math. It's like we're not even two hundred and forty. It's like it's that's insane. So young, and how flimsy it was at this point. Like it was so precarious, and all those guys just had the confidence. Like we're going to outsmart these guys. We can we can do this ourselves. And it was a real act of good faith amongst these people who the colonies may as well have been separate countries. It seems like for mm. the most part, they just weren't like. Yeah, and communication was so bad, you know, just because like you just, you know, if you want to get something from Georgia to Rhode Island, you know, that's going to yeah. take a while. Yeah, right. So it's it's incredible. They really, it's a real act of faith on yeah. their part to think yeah. it could all come together. So, you know, like the cynic in me says, this is only, this is only about money. This is the, this is basically like taxation without representation sure. started all of this. Mm-hmm. And if... If the British hadn't been so greedy and hadn't asked for so much, we would have played along for probably another 100 years. Probably. But because they came over the top so strong, they there was no, we had to put our foot down. Yeah. And uh, we're still doing that to this day, I Indeed. guess. Indeed. Yeah. Robert, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure that to, was, to rediscover it. Yeah, that was great. God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best. <laughs> well, I have to put these on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. What do you mean you're having a tough time taking this seriously? I just, no, I'm taking it very seriously. No, tell me why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Britain and the Empire. Anyway. You grew up, you, you, you told yes. me you grew up in, in South Africa. You went to school well, in South Africa. I was born in the same uh, country as your president, uh, Nairobi Hospital, right. Kenya. Yeah. Um, he was born there just a little, a few years before me, I think. Yeah. But uh, we come from the same route, and then the sort of the diaspora came after that. Yeah, I went right. back to England, he came over. Right. Yeah. How old were you when you went back to England? Well, we kept going back to Africa. So 14, 13, 14, I yeah. suppose, was when I finally left. But it wasn't just Kenya. We went on to uh, Nigeria a lot Yeah. for two postings, and uh, then to Algeria. In North Africa. And then you were just sort of like following like where your dad had worked basically and sort of moving around. But you went to high school, you graduated high school in in England. In England, Look, I love the smile on your face. You can't keep a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) I did. We don't, yes, it wasn't, it was, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't high school. I actually, I'm afraid to say I went to a a public school, which meant that um, no one from the public could go to it. It was a... only white we is this. allowed. We do this. We 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 yeah. When you we say turn we, turn things around in Britain. Right. So public school is 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 private school. 
Um, gotcha. But because of my father was working in Africa a lot, um, I think that the government paid for him to send his yeah, sure. children back to a school in England. When did you start learning? Um, did you when you were living in Africa? Did you were you when you were in school? Were you learning the history of Africa and South Africa, or were you learning the British history in school when you were a child? Well, I was kept on being <clears throat> sent back to. To, to England. Yeah. So, we, so we, 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 we stick to the good news stories. We, we study British history. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know what this is about, but um, I'm sure you'll... Uh, I'm not quite certain. But um, uh, we tend to, 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 to dwell on the good news stories and uh, to remain very positive about... Um, sure. I mean, I think that's sort of how empire worked, is that a lot of it is just, you know, you show up in a country and you say... Um, uh, you stick a flag in it, and you say, "Well, this is ours now," and um, <laughs> and no one, everyone thinks you're joking or mad. Mad, I think mad is very important. I think the yeah. British were very good at, at, at crazy. Yeah. Uh, and yes, and the century after this is littered with sort of brilliant British insanity that I think no one, no one took such confidence. No. Yeah. To go anywhere. And say this. This is going to be ours now. We have boats. No, no, yeah, uh, we have. Yeah, and God says, God says it's ours now. Um, right. So, so there we have it. Right. And um, was that always the thing that they had in their back pocket when someone said, well, "Hold on, well, we, we were here." No, no, no. God told us. Yeah, you know, I, I think we were pretty confident that God was was behind us. Yeah. On yeah. This. Yeah. Which uh, sort of exists in a slightly different form, doesn't it? Here, there's a, a oh, absolutely. American exceptionalism. It's just, it's a good thing to, you know, and, and we didn't have a very big population, so you needed a supernatural being to sort of back you up. It was sort of our, our hydrogen bomb. Um, I, it's, it's such a, I mean, you know, I yeah. went back there, and it's such a, a tiny, tiny country. Incredible um, that it wielded the power sort of, it did. It's a bit like Vermont owning all the world. Except we had to cut down all our trees to build the ships to, 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 to win the battles that we do study. This, as I say, is, is, is Greek to me. Right. It's, this, this anyway, but I'm, yeah, yes. Well, I, I mean, as a, as a kid growing up, when I was in school, the first thing you learn in history class in third, fourth, or fifth grade is you start at the beginning. You learn about the founding fathers and the, and the creation of the country. And right. especially when you're young, it's only good news. And really, up until high school, even the, the history books that I read whitewashed everything, literally, no pun intended. And none of the bad stuff was included in any of the history books. And it wasn't until I was in college that I became aware, like at 18, 19, 20, that um, America has a troubled past. Mm. And I wondered when you first found out that, oh, maybe this is a little more complicated than um, what the books have been telling me? Or was there one kid in college who was like, hey, read this. This is this is going to blow your mind. I don't know. I don't think yeah. school did it for me. I think I got there by myself, actually. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I, I, I just sort of read stuff. There's, there's, they're great. I mean, I write, so um, this is sort of area, a territory that you sort of mine, and there are fantastic books out there. There are fantastically anecdotal books. So it's sort of there that you're... So, for instance, you know, that we we we, we uh, had some very successful genocidal episodes before, before anyone else really got there. We wiped out, we succeeded in wiping out an entire race. Um, yeah, you have to look very hard to find 
the history of the Tasmanian Aboriginals. But, you know, it's insane. But down to the last one, Truganini, that, who ended up in a, the skeleton of, who ended up in a museum in Hobart, Holy the last cow. Tasmanian Aboriginal. So, um, so wow. I think, oddly, maybe it was coming to America that did it, because I think bury my heart at Wounded Knee, because we, we are celebrating... Um, I don't know what we're celebrating, but it's important, I know. Um, but there were, you know, there were people here probably uh, before <laughs> before that. Oh, yes. Probably. Um, yes. Uh, That's yeah. confirmed. And, but yeah. We don't really have a start date, it's true, in, in, in uh, England. Yeah, Britain. right. Is there something uh, – the 4th of July – I mean, you know, it's been uh, 240, 50 years since the Declaration of Independence came out. Um, get up on that microphone. But there's, um, I wonder if, if did, did the British acknowledge it, like, now? It, are there some, you know, I mean, no, it's been... No. Not at all. I mean, you know, more, more, I'd say. I mean, there are, there are so many more Americans living in Britain that I think that... Yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 uh, yeah, that... People are aware of it more, but yeah. I still, I mean, st- up until my sort of 18th birthday, I got confused between sort of July the 4th and July the 14th, which is French, the big French day. Oh, I just didn't know Bastille? Re- Bastille Day, yeah. Right. I think, I'm probably wrong, probably wrong. I'm not sure either. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, so, so, but I then started having American girlfriends, which, which sort of ah. brought it home to me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. this is the first response from um, His Majesty after the declaration was was sent off. So it was signed yeah. by all these gentlemen uh, in the states or the colonies. It was you know put on a boat, sent over. King read it, had a good laugh, and then on October thirty is that the date? October the thirty first. Yeah, Halloween. Before the kids went trick or treating, <laughs> he decided to just, you know, announce uh, to the people of Great Britain that this was adorable and they're hilarious, but um, they're misguided and confused. And I just think it's it's a wonderful response, and and I would love for you to to read it if that's possible. Well, I'll try. It's very difficult. Have you noticed how difficult it is? It's a little, yeah. The yeah, language is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll do my best. No, I think you're going to do great. It's uh, His Majesty's most gracious speech to both Houses of Parliament on Thursday, October the 31st, 1776. My lords and gentlemen, nothing could have afforded me so much satisfaction as to have been able to inform you at the opening of this session that the troubles which have so long distracted my colonies in North America were to an end, and that my unhappy people, recovered from their delusion, had delivered themselves from the oppression of their leaders and returned to their duty. But so daring and desperate is the spirit of those leaders, whose object has always been dominion and power, that they have now openly renounced all allegiance to the crown and all political connection with this country. They have rejected, with circumstances of indignity and insult, the means of conciliation held out to them under the authority of our commission, and have presumed to set up their rebellious confederacies for independent states. If their treason be suffered to take root, much mischief must grow from it. To the safety of my loyal colonies, to the commerce of my kingdoms, and indeed to the present system of all Europe. 
One great advantage, however, will be derived from the object of the rebels being openly avowed and clearly understood. We shall have unanimity at home, founded in the general conviction of the justice and necessity of our measures. I am happy to inform you that, by the blessing of divine providence on the good conduct and valour of my officers and forces by sea and land, and on the zeal and bravery of the auxiliary troops in my service, Canada is recovered. <laughs> and although from unavoidable delays the operations at New York could not begin before the month of August, the success in that province has been so important as to give strongest hopes of the most decisive good consequences. Mm. But notwithstanding this fair prospect, we must at all events prepare for another campaign. Mm. I continue to receive assurances of amity from the several courts of Europe and am using my utmost endeavours to conciliate unhappy differences between two neighbouring powers. And I still hope that all misunderstandings may be removed and Europe continue to enjoy the inestimable blessings of peace. I think nevertheless that, in the present situation of affairs, it is expedient that we should be in a respectable state of defence at home. Gentlemen of the House of Commons, I will order the estimates for the ensuing year to be laid before you. It is a matter of real concern to me that the important considerations which I have stated to you must necessarily be followed by great expense. I doubt not, however, but that my faithful commons will readily and cheerfully grant me such supplies as the maintenance of the honour of my crown, the vindication of the just rights of Parliament, and the public welfare shall be found to require. My lords and gentlemen, in this arduous contest, I can have no other object but to promote the true interests of all my subjects. No people ever enjoyed more happiness or lived under a milder government than those now revolted provinces. <laughs> the improvements in every art of which they boast declare it. Hmm. Their numbers, their wealth, well. their strength by sea and land, which they think sufficient to enable them to make head against the whole power of the mother country, are irrefragible proofs of it. Hmm. My desire is to restore to them the blessings of law and liberty, right. equally enjoyed by every British subject, which they have fatally and desperately exchanged for all the calamities of war and the arbitrary tyranny of their chiefs. It's just great. It's just wonderful. I think it is the perfect response, especially those last two sentences. Yeah. He kind of puts it on the heads. Of, he doesn't blame the people. So no, these, no, no, no. these yeah. morons, these 50 dudes who decided to write this piece of garbage. Well, it was also it was very easy. The, 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 the blessings of Laura equally enjoyed by every British subject. Uh, yeah, right. I'm not sure I buy that entirely. <laughs> but um, but yes, there we go. I really appreciate you you coming it's, in. It's um, well, very nice to to, to, to 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 be here. Very nice to be here. Yeah, <laughs> we still we still we still own a couple of rocks. Are you aware of that? No, no. What do you mean? We have the Falkland Islands. Oh yeah, good for you. And the Rock of Gibraltar. The Falkland Just War. Just look them up on a map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Falkland, that war was, uh, was... Well, I, the, my story is a common story, but it's a true story. Is So the Falkland Islands are a few hundred miles off the coast of Argentina. Yes. Uh, and I remember I was at one of those schools that I was sent back to when we heard that 
Argentina had invaded the Falkland Islands. And everyone was scrambling to look at a map of Scotland because we knew that there were a whole bunch of islands off the <laughs> coast of Scotland. We thought, how the hell did they get, how did they get past I Ireland and nobody see? <laughs> um, only to discover that this, this dot of England, yeah. this dot of Britain was actually, yeah. Yeah, I remember with the penguins in right. I remember mm. you telling me um, how so the navy came down and and the weapons that um, that the Argentinians had only reached so far. So the British navy just sort of parked the boats. Yeah, it was like yeah. just outside of the range, and then yeah, it was an unequal um, uh, yeah. fight, and Thatcher had an election to win. Yes, yeah, this has been covered a lot, and and uh, and every. I think there's been like three Mark, Margaret Thatcher movies that have come out in the last six or seven years. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, it was kind of an uneven war. But what was interesting, and you can cut this out, what was interesting was that, uh, that Reagan and Thatcher, who were firm buddies, disagreed strongly on this. Yeah. That it was, uh, if you think of the calamity of the last 15 years where you had Tony Blair in. Yeah, right the British prime minister in the pocket yeah, of the yeah. American president. Yeah. There, the relationship was much, much more robust. Yeah. And uh, they just agreed to differ on it. Yeah, right, right. Um, a healthier Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But anyway, no, it's a great pleasure to be here and, 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 and make, a, make a tool of myself. How are you celebrating um, the 4th of July? Um, we, we're, we're, we're going to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Crispin Wattel is a playwright. He's a friend. And uh, thanks so much for coming in and reading thank this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So a big thanks to Crispin Wattel for coming in and reading the British response. I, I, I just, <laughs> I love Crispin so much. And we have, uh, we've had some hilarious conversations about the British Empire over the years. Um, but he's a wonderful guy and a, and a brilliant playwright and writer. And um, I'm lucky to have him as a friend. So I'm so glad that he came in and... and and uh, read that for you guys. And big thanks to uh, Bo Baker, Robert Baker, for coming in and reading the Declaration. Um, God, it really is. It's so. It's it's um, it's different to read it yourself. It's fun to listen to someone read it with uh, with strength and with some muscle behind it. But if you get a free uh, ten minutes um, this weekend, call it up on the internet and read it yourself. It's uh, it really is staggering, um, and it worked. <laughs> that it totally worked isn't that incredible and thanks again to jason and uh and tom o'donnell uh the brilliant tom o'donnell okay maybe our apartment is too small for a bald eagle brilliantly written well done tom and uh and expertly performed by manzukas so uh thanks to all participants today and thanks to you for listening i hope you're having a, a wonderful fourth of july weekend and be sure to pick up H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald. Uh, go get it at Skylight Books and be a part of our live book club. So we'll see you very soon next week with more Reading Aloud. My name is Nate Cordry. I'm your host. And thanks so much for listening. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Pop. Pop?
Pop. 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 Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.